everyone. Welcome back to the Page to Screen edition of the Gatkin County Public Library podcast, where each month we usually discuss a book that's been turned into a movie or TV series, as well as the reception of each. For this installment of Page to Screen, we're following up with a part two to our Spooky Books to Movie series. We covered some of the classics last time, so this time we've got a lot of ground to cover with some more contemporary scary stories. We're going to feature an author that I like to think of as the king of Halloween and scary tales, Stephen King. The Master of Suspense has an estimated 350 million books sold, and he continues to publish bestsellers to add to his list of over 50 titles. He has written so many books that have been adapted for the big screen that it's hard to know where to start, but I suppose the best, the first book that he ever wrote is as good a place as any. Carrie, a horror novel by American author Stephen King, was his first published novel, released on April 5, 1974, with a first print run of 30,000 copies. I remember watching the original Carrie, starring Sissy Spacek, and being terrified as a teenager, set primarily in the then-future year of 1979. It revolves around the eponymous Carrie White, a friendless, bullied high school girl from, a, from an abusive religious household who uses her newly discovered telekinetic powers to exact revenge on those who torment her. In the process, she causes one of the worst local disasters the town has ever had. King has commented that he finds the work to be raw and with a surprising power to hurt and horrify. Much of the book uses newspaper clippings, magazine articles, letters, and excerpts from books to tell how Carrie destroyed the fictional town of Chamberlain, Maine, while exacting revenge on her sadistic classmates and her own mother, Margaret. Carrie was one of the most frequently banned books in United States schools in the 1990s because of its violence, cursing, sex, and negative view of religion. Carrie is a horror novel and is an example of supernatural and gothic fiction. It's also an epistolary novel, which is when the narrative is organized through a collection of reports and excerpts in approximate chronological order and is structured around a framing device consisting of multiple narrators. Lee A. Ellers, a literary scholar, has argued that this structure is used to indicate that no particular viewpoint, scientific or otherwise, can explain Carrie and the prom night event. The novel deals with themes of ostracization, centering around Carrie being ostracized for not conforming to societal norms. The novel also deals with themes of vengeance. By the time of writing Carrie, King lived in a trailer in Herman, Maine with his wife, Tabitha, and two children. He had a job teaching English at Hampton Academy and wrote short stories for men's magazines such as Cavalier. Carrie was originally a short story intended for Cavalier, and King started conceptualizing the story after a friend suggested writing a story about a female character. As he wrote the opening shower scene, King experienced discomfort due to not being female and not knowing how he would react to the scene if he was female. He also did not feel emotionally resonant when writing the scene. After three pages, King eventually threw away the manuscript of the story in the trash. The next day, his wife Tabitha retrieved the pages from the trash and convinced King to continue writing the story with input from her. King was ultimately able to emotionally connect to Carrie through the influence of two girls he knew. One was constantly abused at school due to her family's poverty, forcing her to wear only one outfit to school. The other was a timid girl from a devoutly religious family. King believed Carrie would not be successful, thinking it would not be marketable in any genre or to any audience. He also found writing it to be a waste of time and found no point in sending out what he perceived as a failed story. King only continued writing it in order to please his wife and because he was unable to think of anything else to write. When King finished the first draft, Carrie was a 98-page long novella that he detested. 
In December 1972, King decided to rewrite Carrie and strive for it to become novel length. He added fabricated documents to the narrative that were purported to be from periodicals such as Esquire and Reader's Digest, imitating their style accordingly, which King found entertaining. After Carrie was accepted by the publisher Doubleday, King revised the novel with editor and friend Bill Thompson. The original ending of Carrie had Carrie growing demon horns and destroying an airplane thousands of miles above her. Thompson convinced King to rewrite the ending to be more subtle. King's manuscript for Carrie was given to Thompson in November 1973. Seeing potential in the novel in light of recent horror novels such as Rosemary's Baby, Thompson convinced Lee Barker, executive editor of Doubleday, to accept the novel. In 1973, after much revision, advance copies of Carrie were sent to salesmen to secure an advance. Eventually, the novel was approved for an advance of $1,500. Thompson convinced Doubleday to boost the advance to $2,500, moderately high for a debut novel at the time, and it was announced to King via telegram. With a print run of 30,000 copies, the hardback edition of Carrie was ultimately published on April 5, 1974. Although Carrie was marketed as an occult novel, trade reviewers at the time of her release called it a horror novel. The hardback edition of Carrie sold modestly, but not spectacularly. It was not a bestseller. Sources of the number of sales for the hardback edition vary, ranging from 13,000 copies to 17,000 copies. In contrast, the paperback edition sold exceedingly well. In its first year, the edition sold 1 million copies. The sales were bolstered by the 1976 film adaptation, which also um, pretty much catapulted Sissy Spacek um, to fame totaling at 4 million sales. Carrie became a New York Times bestseller, debuting on the list on December 1976 and remaining on it for 14 weeks, peaking at number three. According to the novel's publisher for the UK, Hodder and Stoughton, the novel is still selling well as of April 2014. Though King himself was averse to Carrie, the novel received generally positive reviews and has become a fan favorite. Various critics considered it an impressive literary debut. Newgate Calendar of the New York Times stated that despite being a debut novel, King writes with the kind of surety normally associated only with veteran writers. The Daily Times advocates Ina Bonds considers the novel an admirable achievement for a first novel, and Kirkus Reviews believes that the debut novel is handled well by King with little nonsense. Bob Cormier from the Daily Sentinel and Leo Minster Enterprise believes that the novel could have failed because of the subject matter, but it didn't and thus finds King to be, in quote, no ordinary writer. Which, of course, as we know now, he's gone to write, on, to write countless best-selling novels. So it's a good thing he didn't give up, and he continued, because we wouldn't have any of his uh, books now if he had. The first screen adaptation of Carrie was a feature film of the same name. We already mentioned it uh, earlier, but it was released in 1976. Screen written by Lawrence D. Cohen and directed by Brian De Palma, the film stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie, along with Piper Laurie as Margaret, her mother, Amy Irving as Sue, Nancy Allen as Chris, John Travolta as Billy, Betty Buckley as Miss Collins, which was changed from Miss Desjardin, and William Catt as Tommy. It's regarded as a watershed film of the horror genre and one of the best film adaptations of a Stephen King work. Spacek and Laurie received Academy Award nominations for their performances in the movie. A 1999 sequel to the first film, titled The Rage, Carrie 2, starring Emily Burgle, 
was based on the premise that Carrie's father had numerous affairs and had another daughter with telekinetic powers. Amy Irving reprises her role as Sue Snell, the only survivor of the prom and now a school counselor. In 2002, a made-for-television uh, film of the same name was released, starring Angela Bettis as Carrie, Candace McClure as Sue, Emily DeRaven as Chris, and Patricia Clarkson as Mar Margaret. However, in this version, Carrie survives the end of the story. In 2013, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Screen Gems gained rights to make a new film version written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa and directed by Kimberly Pierce, known for her work on Boys Don't Cry. The film is said to be less a remake of the De Palma film and more a readaptation re of the original text. Chloe Grace Moretz plays the title role with Julianne Moore as Margaret White, her mother, Judy Greer as Miss Desjardin, and Gabrielle Wilde as Sue Snell. Portia Doubleday plays the role of Chris Harginson, Alex Russell plays the role of Billy Nolan, and Ansel Elgort, a newcomer at the time, plays the role of Tommy Ross. Released on October 18, 2013, the movie received mixed reviews. It also left many fans disappointed because much of the material from the book was cut. I've seen the original Carrie several times. In fact, it's always in my 31 Days of Halloween movie lineup that my husband and I watch every year. I didn't see the sequel, um, The Rage of Carrie, but I did see the 2002 and then the 2003 remake. And honestly, they're okay. But if I'm going to watch this story, I'm just going to watch the original 1976 version. That's just my personal opinion. If Carrie sounds like something you're interested in, we have the book available at the Yakin County Public Library for checkout, and we can also request in the screen adaptations, depending on which one you want, if you would like to watch the movie as well. So, on to the next story. This next book is a gothic horror novel, and it's one of the most popular and enduring hor horror stories of all time, eclipsed perhaps only by its 1980 film adaptation. As Stephen King's top-selling book and also his top-rated book on Goodreads, this story has been referenced throughout pop culture since the time of its release, from Friends to Toy Story 4 and everything in between. The Shining by Stephen King was adapted into a 1980 feature film of the same name and directed by Stanley Kubrick and co-written with Diane Johnson. The novel was also later adapted into a television miniseries, which premiered in 1997 on American Broadcasting Company, as well as an opera of the same name in 2016. For this episode discussion, we'll be referring solely to the 1980 Kubrick adapt adaptation because I feel like that's what most people are <laughs> mostly familiar with. The Shining was all originally published in January of 1977 by Doubleday and American Publishing Company. It's King's third published novel, following Carrie and then Salem's Lot, as well as his first hardback bestseller. Its success firmly established King as a preeminent author in the horror genre. The setting and characters are influenced by King's personal experiences, including both his visit to the Stanley Hotel in 1974 and his struggle with alcoholism. Now, this is another one of those book-to-movie adaptations in that I experienced the movie extensively before I actually read the book. Um, I feel the same way about The Shining movie as I do Tim Curry in that my Halloween season is not complete until I have experienced it, even if it is for the 7,000th time. Every year at Halloween, I have to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show and It and um, Clue and just there's so many things that Tim Curry has been in. But anyways, I I can't have Halloween until I've seen it. <laughs> so, strangely enough, I always feel compelled to watch The Shining um, on heavy snow days as well as, you know, during the Halloween season. Something about being snowed in. I just want to watch it. I couldn't tell you how old I was the first time I saw the movie, probably somewhere in my teens. 
but it's become a cinematic staple in our house. The Shining the Book also checks out quite frequently here at Yakin County Public Library, even after 50 years of publication, which I would say is a real testament to the literary genius that Stephen King is. I personally have only read a few of his other novels, including Carrie and the 1,100-page It, but his books check out really quite frequently here, and I'm slowly but surely working my way through his bibliography. I'm currently reading his newest book, A Dark Fantasy Called Fairy Tale, and actually I think it was number one on the Amazon list, um, I know at least last week. Our copy is is checked out. Um, all the copies in NWRL are checked out, and there's, um, I think, a 300-person waiting list on it throughout NC Cardinal. So it is a very popular book right now. It's a whopper of a book, which is pretty typical, typical of King. It's about 600 pages. So I'm slowly working my way through it by listening to the audiobook on my commute back and forth to work every day. And I'm only about 150 pages in, so I haven't gotten very far through it yet. Um, but I'm really enjoying all the fairy tale references and the undercurrents that are throughout the book so far. It's really a love letter to fairy tales and and readers and in general. But anyways, back to The Shining. Um, <laughs> to read The Shining is no small feat. And at 678 pages, it would take a standard work day to read, around eight hours and two minutes for the average reader, reading at a speed of 300 words per minute. I intentionally started reading The Shining one night on a dark, rainy night towards the end of September. And if you're looking for a good book to spend reading on a dreary night between now and October 31st, which is coming up pretty quickly, but you still have time, look no further than The Shining. Well, personally, I, the movie's always been more terrifying for me, due largely in part to the amazing Jack Nicholson. It's still a really solid read. I feel like The Shining and a lot of his other books have a slow burn at the beginning, and he takes a while to really establish and like flesh out the characters and their background before he gets to the main storyline. But once I really got into it, I couldn't put the book down. The Shining centers on the life of Jack Torrance, a struggling writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as the off-season caretaker of the historic Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. His family accompanies him on this job, including his young son, Danny Torrance, who possesses The Shining, which is an array of psychic abilities that allow Danny to see the hotel's horrific past. Soon after, a winter storm leaves him snowbound. The supernatural forces inhabiting the hotel influence Jack's sanity, leaving his wife and son in incredible danger. Book Jack is, despite many bad decisions, um, overall a family man. He desperately loves his family, and his descent into the darkness is kind of slow and gradual. In fact, for the first 200 pages of the book, we get Jack and Wendy's backstory and what led them to that fateful winter at the Overlook. The book is a slow burn, whereas in the movie, you kind of get the feeling that Jack is teetering on the precipice of madness from the very beginning. I don't know if that perception is due to the many roles that I've seen Nicholson in over the years of his career, so I don't know if that's a preconceived notion on my part, um, or if that was the direction of Kubrick and his kind of vision for the movie, but you definitely get the sense that Jack is mad from the get-go, and he's just kind of playing at being sane um, instead of the other way around. With that said, I still couldn't imagine any other actor portraying Jack Torrance, and one has to wonder that if there had been a change of cast, um, because Stephen King was not a fan of Jack Nicholson playing um, Jack Torrance, he actually didn't like the, the movie at all, that's... Um, I touch on that a little more in the podcast episode about The Shining that I did last year around this time. So anyways, you have to wonder if there had been a change of cast, would the movie still be the enduring icon that it is today? 
So that episode that I did just that's dedicated entirely to The Shining, you can find that podcast episode in October 2021's episode list if you wanted to check it out. We also have a book copy of The Shining that's available for checkout here at the Yakin County Public Library, as well as the sequel that King wrote later on, um, Dr. Sleep. And if you wanted to watch the movie adaptations, we can request them in from another library. Since I mentioned Dr. Sleep, we'll touch on that kind of quickly. Dr. Sleep is a... 2013 horror novel written by Stephen King and the sequel to his 1977 novel, The Shining. The book reached the first position on the New York Times bestseller list for print and ebook fiction combined, hardcover fiction, and ebook fiction. Dr. Sleep also won the 2013 Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. The novel was adapted into a film of the same name, which was released on November 8, 2019, in the United States. Stephen King returns to the characters and territory of one of his most popular novels ever, The Shining, in this instantly riveting novel about the now middle-aged Danny Torrance, Dan in Dr. Sleep, he goes by Dan, um, and of course in The Shining he was the boy protagonist. And then we also have the very special 12-year-old girl he must save from a tribe of murderous paranormals. On Howie's Across America, a tribe of people called the True Knot travel in search of sustenance. They look harmless, mostly old, lots of polyester, and married to their RVs. But as Dan Torrance knows and spunky 12-year-old Abra Stone learns, the True Knot are quasi-immortal, living off the steam that children with The Shining produce when they're slowly tortured to death. Haunted by the inhabitants of the Overlook Hotel where he spent one horrific childhood year, Dan has been drifting for decades, desperate to shed his father's legacy of despair, alcoholism, and violence. Finally, he settles in a New Hampshire town, an AA community that sustains him, and a job at a nursing home where his remnant, shining power, provides the crucial final comfort to the dying. Aided by a prescient cat, he becomes known as Dr. Sleep. Then Dan meets the evanescent Abra Stone, and it's her spectacular gift, the brightest shining ever seen, that reignites Dan's own demons and summons him to a battle for Abra's soul and survival. This is an epic war between good and evil, a gory and glorious story that will thrill the millions of hyper-devoted fans of The Shining and wildly satisfying anyone new to the territory of this icon in the King canon. Now, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but I did watch the movie. I actually bought the movie, and it was a big hit with my husband and I. The film is both an adaptation of the novel and a sequel to the 1980 film adaptation of the first book that King hated so much. It therefore makes significant changes to the plot in order to preserve continuity with Kubrick's popular film. The director, Mike Flanagan, explained that working with all the sources, reconciling those three at times very different sources has been kind of the most challenging and thrilling part of this create creatively for us. He first read the novel and then had a conversation with King to work out adapting all the sources. As part of the process, Flanagan recreated scenes from The Shining to use in flashbacks. Same as The Shining, Flanagan also avoided the horror film trope of jump scares. During early talks, King's two stipulations for the Doctor Sleep adaptation was that the was that the Overlook Hotel would not be present and that the novel's ending would be retained. King initially rejected Flanagan's pitch of bringing back the Overlook as seen in Kubrick's film, but he changed his mind after Flanagan pitched a scene within the hotel towards the end of the film that served as his reason to bring back the Overlook. Upon reading the script, King was so satisfied with the result that he said, everything that I ever disliked about the Kubrick version of The Shining is redeemed for me here. Dr. Sleep the movie and the book are both available for checkout through NC Cardinal. 
So just let us know if that's if you would like to, to read them or watch the movie. So our next book to page adaptation is another Stephen King favorite, Misery. This is a book that I have not personally read, but it's in my TBR pile. Um, it's one of those books. It's, it's another, it's kind of like The Shining. You just see it so much in pop culture, played out um, different references. So it's definitely something that I want to read. But there's just too many books and there's not enough time to read them all in a day. Um, Misery is an American psychological horror thriller novel written by Stephen King and first published by Viking Press on June 8, 1987. The novel's narrative is based on the relationship of its two main characters, the romance novelist Paul Sheldon and his deranged, self-proclaimed number one fan, Annie Wilkes. When Paul is seriously injured following a car accident, former nurse Annie brings him to her home, where Paul receives treatment and doses of pain medication. Paul quickly realizes he's a prisoner and is forced to indulge his captor's whims. The novel's title has two meanings. It's the name carried by the central heroine of Paul's book series, and King describes such a state of emotion during the novel's writing. He has stated that Annie is a stand-in for cocaine. King has outlined the creation of misery in his memoirs and mentioned that the image of Annie Wilkes came to him in a dream. King originally planned the book to be released under his pseudonym, Richard Bachman, but his identity was discovered before the book's release. Misery won the first Bram Stoker Award for Novel in 1987 and was nominated for the 1988 World Fantasy Award for Best Novel. Critical reception of Misery was positive. Reviewers praised King for avoiding the fantasy elements of his past works and noticed the novel parallels with King's personal life and the study of the relationship between celebrities and their fans. The novel, which took fourth place in the 1987 bestseller list, was adapted into an Academy Award-winning film directed by Rob Reiner in 1990 and into a theatrical production, which I had no idea <laughs> until I wrote this podcast, but it stars Laurie Metcalf and Bruce Willis in 2015. One of Stephen King's inspirations for Misery was the reaction his fans had to his 1984 novel, The Eyes of the Dragon. Many fans rejected The Eyes of the Dragon because it was an epic fantasy book which vir with virtually none of the horror that initially made his reputation. So it wasn't really like anything he had ever written before, and people didn't like that. Paul Sheldon, um, the main character in Misery, feeling chained to the Misery books by his fans was a metaphor for King's feeling chained to horror fiction. Another source was King's addiction to drugs and alcohol and his struggle to get sober. He stated, take this psychotic nurse in misery, which I wrote when I was having such a tough time with dope. I knew what I was writing about. There was never any question. Annie was my drug problem, and she was my number one fan. God, she never wanted to leave. End quote. When further addressing the idea of whether the character of Paul Sheldon was based on himself, King stated that in certain ways he was, but in the ways where every character is a part of the author in some way, quote, it would be fair enough to ask, I suppose, if Paul Sheldon in misery is me. Certain parts of him are, but I think you'll find that if you continue to write fiction, every character you create is partly you. The 1990 film adaptation was directed by Rob Reiner and scripted by William Goldman. James Caan and Kathy Bates starred as Paul Sheldon and Annie Wilkes with Lauren Bacall, Richard Farnsworth, and Frances Sternhagen in supporting roles. The film was a critical and commercial success and continues to be ranked as one of the best Stephen King adaptations. For her performance as Annie Wilkes, Kathy Bates won the 1991 Academy Award for Best Actress, one of the few Oscar wins for a performance in the horror genre and the first for any King adaptation, and was launched into mainstream stardom. 
In June 2003, the American Film Institute included Annie Wilkes, as played by Bates, in their 100 Heroes and Villains list, ranking her as the 17th most iconic villain and 6th most iconic villainess in the history of film. Needless to say, this movie is always in my 31 days of Halloween list every year. And if you've never seen it or you never read the book um, and you're a fan of the horror genre, you should definitely check those out. We have copies of both the book and the movie available for checkout with an NC Cardinal. Now, we could honestly just do like a five-hour long podcast on Stephen King book-to-movie adaptations that you could check out for Halloween, but I'm just going to list a few more here, and then we're going to shift gears and quickly list some other book-to-movie adaptations. Some of King's most popular book-to-movie adaptations include It, which I also have another podcast episode um, on that book itself and the movie, and actually that one was, I think, one of the first or second ones um, that I released when we started this podcast, so it should be close to the top of the list if you want to go back and listen to it. Um, I want to say it was January, February 2021, but anyways, um, it was published in 1986. Salem's Lot was published in 1975, and again, that was King's second novel. Cujo, published in 1981. Firestarter, published in 1980. Pet Cemetery, published in 1982, as well as The Mist, which was a novella, published also in 1980. All of these books and movie adaptations for the books can be found for checkout um, within NC Cardinal. So if you're interested, just let us know. So before we go today, I would just like to list a few more spooky tales that are perfect if you're looking for a book to read for the Halloween season. And again, there's not much left of it, but I'm sure that maybe something on this list, if you're in, if you're into the horror genre or suspense, you know, you may find something that you like. All these books have also been adapted for the big screen, either as a movie or television or streaming series. Some of my favorites, as well as some pop culture favorites, include The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, and that book was recently adapted by Netflix as a streaming series called The Haunting of Bly Manor, and that was actually season two within a series that they're doing. Um, The first season was based on The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. So the first season in that series was also named The Haunting of Hill House. And those are both available on Netflix. Rebecca and My Cousin Rachel, as well as the short story The Birds, are all written by Daphne du Maurier. Du Maurier was an English novelist, biographer, and playwright and is classed as a romance novelist. But her stories have been described as moody and resonant with overtones of the paranormal. Me, I think of her works more as like gothic horror than romance. There is romance kind of thrown in, but I think her books are more kind of gothic in tone. And there actually has been several uh, film adaptations of Rebecca, but the latest um, that I have actually watched was one that Netflix put out that I think Army Hammer and... um, Lily James star in. So that came out, I want to say last year, last year, the year before. Uh, My cousin Rachel has also recently had a film adaptation within the last few years. Um, Sam Claflin and Rachel Weiss from The Mummy are in that movie. And it's kind of a longer movie. Um, I had went and seen it at a movie theater in Winston. I think it's called Aperture. And it's kind of a smaller theater, so the seats are not as comfortable as if you were to go like the Grand, you know, or something with like the reclining seats. So I feel like maybe I need to rewatch that one like at my house on <laughs> where it's kind of comfortable because that was a super long movie um, and it was very quiet. So it's kind of hard 
to hear and understand everything that was going on. But I did enjoy it. Um, I just think maybe I should watch it again uh, to get a better feel for it. But anyways, any of her books, I think, would be perfect for the Halloween season. Next up is Pride, Prejudice, Prejudice and Zombies, as well as Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Um, these are both by Seth Graham Smith, and he has been credited with kind of popularizing the literary mashup genre. So he did those, and then I think he did another one of Jane Austen's books. I think it was Sense and Sensibility um, and Sea Monsters, maybe. I can't remember. I would have to double-check that. But... Both of those books have been um, turned into movies. There is Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. Now, the movie was adapted back, I want to say, in the 90s. Um, You had Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and then um, Kristen. I'm sorry, Kirsten um, Dunst. And they all... I started in that movie, and I think it came out around 1994. I could be wrong, but I think that's around when it came out. And it's based on a series of books by Anne Rice, um, one book in the series, Interview with a Vampire. So the next up on the list is Silence of the Lambs by Thomas Harris, which is actually the second in a series of four books about the author's most infamous character, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. And that movie stars Jodie Foster alongside with Anthony Hopkins. It's a classic, um, if you've not seen it, and you like this particular genre, you definitely need to watch that movie. The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty. I Know What You Did Last Summer by Lois Duncan is another. Um, These are both books that have both been turned into movie adaptations. Psycho by Robert Block. And honestly, if you've never seen the original Psycho with Alfred Hitchcock, that is a classic. You have to watch it. Um, The shower scene just it's like it's it's iconic so you have to watch that norman bates is you know so big on pop culture and it's just a classic um rosemary's baby by ira levin the woman in black by susan hill and i think they recently redid a um or did an adaptation of that movie starring um daniel ratcliffe from um harry potter so we also have the Am- Amityville Horror by Jane Anson. And the, lastly, The Ring by Koji Suzuki. I remember the first time I ever watched the Ring movie was at a sleepover at the Elka National Guard Armory um, as like, you know, a teenage girl. So <laughs> as a 13-year-old, that movie terrified me and it really stuck with me. So um, that book is also in my to-be-read pile. I would really like to read the book at some point just to kind of see how the two compare. But those are the books that I have um, listed that have also been made into movies that would be good, you know, to watch during this time of the year, if you like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But for younger readers, also kind of put together a short list. Um, Be sure to check out, or even if you just like to read juvenile fiction, I, you know, have sometimes I'll kind of change it up and I'll read Um, Some of these books that I read as a kid, you know, just for the nostalgia. So the first one is The Witches by Ruol Dahl. And I think there was recently a movie adaptation with Anne Hathaway with that, uh, based on that book. Then, of course, you cannot forget the Harry Potter series of seven books by J.K. Rowling, which starts out with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I watch those movies every single year. Every year at Halloween, I cannot have Halloween. It's kind of like Tim Curry. I cannot have Halloween without Harry Potter. 
So if you've not read those, you know, definitely check those out. Um, the Goosebumps or the Fear Street series by R.L. Stein. I know when I was growing up, R.L. Stein was a huge, huge deal. Um, there's so many of those books. So those are good for kids to read during the uh, Halloween season. And then we have Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children by Ransom Riggs, which is not necessarily, it's not really spooky, but there is a lot of supernatural elements going on in those books. Um, so it, you know, would be a good fit as well. And that book, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, is actually the first in a series of seven books. And they have only adapted the first book um, for a movie. So I don't know. That one didn't necessarily do very well. I did enjoy it. I watched it, but um, I don't know that it did well enough for them to continue making movies for each of the, the next books in the series. So lastly, we have Coraline by Neil Gaiman. And um, that one is another classic, you know, book and movie adaptation. So if you've not seen it, I would highly recommend anything by Neil Gaiman, really, but especially that one. So that is all I have for you today. Feel free to follow us on social media. Let us know in the comments if you've read a book lately that really stuck with you or if you have any suggestions about um, Halloween books, you know, that you something you really you read and really spooked you out or you really just liked it, just leave that in the comments because I'm always looking for new book suggestions and um, new reads. So I would be interested to know what everybody's reading right now. So whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest, we would be really happy to see you there. So if you haven't already, hit that follow button so you can follow this weekly podcast. Each week, Yakin County Public Library staff will be bringing you more topics. So be sure to check in every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you all next month for the next installment of Pace Just Green. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and happy Halloween.